It's good to be back with you all. I missed you last week. I'm excited to get back into the Word with you, and what a word we have this morning. This is one of my favorites. It's another word specifically about the Word. So turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 12 through 15 this morning. You can find those words on page 902 in the Pew Bible. John 16, 12 through 15, 902. Remember where we are. This is chapter 16. The whole of chapter 17 is a prayer. God the Son talking to God the Father. That means that these words, chapter 16, are literally Christ's last words to his disciples before the suffering begins in chapter 18. And last words are often most important words. Here, my beloved, is the last and most important thing for you to know. Here is the one thing I want to leave you with before I leave you. And that thing, again, is a person, the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about this morning. That is who we are talking about this morning. And I'm excited to be talking about him this morning because I think that what Jesus teaches us here in this short passage is is so important. This is a word that the Western American modern-day church today desperately needs, a word that you and I need. And it is a word all about the Spirit and the Word. Last time in verses 4 through 11, we focused on the Holy Spirit's relationship to the world. Well, today we focus on the Holy Spirit's relationship to the Word. You see the ESV, the heading that it gives this section, the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, here's what I'm going to argue this morning. The work of the Holy Spirit is the Word. That's basically what we're going to talk about. The work of the Holy Spirit is the Word. The work is the Word. We've been seeing throughout John that life is everything. We all want to live and not die. Well, how can we in this world of sin and death possibly live? Well, that's the point and the purpose of this whole book, John 20, 31. These are written, that is, these words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, those are strange words. If you really step back and think about it, and, and all of this, that, that's weird. And, and what we're doing here, it's kind of weird. You are going to sit there and listen to me read 94 words for you from a 2,000-year-old book that we call the Bible, which just means book in Greek, biblion. I am now about 403 words into my 6,000 words about those 94 words. I got super stuck in the middle of writing this Friday afternoon, and so proficient as I am in the practice of procrastination, I decided to count all of the books that I could see and reach just from where I was sitting. Now keep in mind, I work next door, parsonage. I work in our bedroom. It's too loud. I have a downstairs office, but the kids, and it's crazy, it's too loud. That's where all my books are. So I'm up in my bedroom at this little desk we put in there, and as I started counting the books that I could see in my bedroom, I stopped at 500 books, many of which are in stacks on the floor. My wife is a very patient, patient woman. In working on this one sermon on 94 words, I consulted at least 21 books, not including works online, reading thousands and thousands of words, 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 Hamlet, Act 2, Scene 2. Why? And how can John say that these, these written words, if you believe those written words, if you hear them and trust them, these written words will give you eternal life? How can words on a page impart spiritual life? Why does our whole service revolve entirely around words? Why does our whole faith revolve entirely around words? And what do you do when you tire of words? When you are maybe bored with words? Maybe when you are bored with the word and really just struggling to see what's the big deal? Surely there's more to all of this than a book and some words. We've all been there, but we don't want to stay there. It's easy when we wonder about the words to wander from the words, tempted to look for something else, something more, to to look and long for something in addition to that word that sometimes just doesn't seem to quite be cutting it. My goal this morning 
is to simply attempt to help us rediscover the wonder of words in general and God's word in particular. And to do that by seeing that this is how the Spirit works. And that this is the thing that the Spirit is about. I wonder if I was to go around and put you all on the spot, how would you answer that question? What is the Spirit's primary role? What is his main task? What does he do? What is the thing that the Spirit is about? There's just a whole lot of Spirit silliness these days. Lots of charismatic confusion. If we can just get this question correct, a lot of that would be solved. How would you define the Spirit's main work? Jesus tells us very clearly this morning. He will glorify me. He will glorify me. That's what the Spirit does. How does he do it? Oh, Jesus tells us he will guide you into all the truth. See, the word is how he does it. The work of the Spirit is to glorify the Son of God. The instrument of the Spirit's work is the Word of God. This is who the Spirit is and what He does. He glorifies the Son through the Word. That's our big idea this morning. The Spirit glorifies the Son through the Word. So let's unpack that big idea. We have just two points this morning. Number one, the Spirit works through the Word. And then number two, we'll see the why the Spirit works through the Word to glorify the Son. I encourage you to pay attention and listen to the words that we're about to read. Look for the words within the Word. I could make a case that all of our problems are rooted in a failure to hear and heed, to listen and to live in light of words, a failure to trust God's good Word to us. So let's try this morning to better understand that word so that we can better love that word, so that we can better trust that word and live. I'm going to be reading words to you from John chapter 16. We're just jumping right in the middle in verses 12 through 15. Pay attention. This is what God himself wants to say to you today. These are the words that God himself wants you to hear today. John 16, 12, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. If you would, let's stop. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help. Father, especially here in a text that is all about your spirit and your word, we cannot help but first ask that you would send us your spirit and work on our behalf through that word By your spirit. Father, I cannot do anything. I cannot accomplish anything that will last and that will be of spiritual eternal value in this time apart from the working of your precious Holy Spirit. And so we ask that you would do through me what I cannot do. Help me to preach and teach uh, your word uh, clearly and accurately and faithfully. Father, I pray that my only desire would be to glorify you in the opening up and explaining of your word. Father, help each and every one of us as we now come to sit under this word. We pray that you would give us um, ears to hear, Father, hearts to receive and to respond to this wonderful word that reveals to us the wonderful Christ. Father, we have all of us struggled with apathy and boredom when it comes to your living and active word. Father, this morning, help us to see it for what it is. Help us to see what you do and what you can do through your word, and we ask that you would do those very things this morning. Father, we ask that you would save sinners. We ask that you would sanctify and edify and encourage and build up your saints and do it all through the wonder of your words, Lord. We ask and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Point number one, the Spirit works through the Word. I am going to work hard this morning to connect the Spirit and the Word and to wed them inseparably together in your mind. Look at verse 12. This whole section, remember, is about 
the Spirit. Uh, five times in these three chapters, the most, consecrate, the most concentrated teaching we have on the Holy Spirit in the whole Bible, as Jesus himself teaches us about the person and work of the Spirit. This is number five of five. If you want to know who the Spirit is and what he does, you should listen to Jesus the Son, the sender of that Spirit, the one with that Spirit, right? He's the revealer and sender and teacher of the Spirit. And so here he is speaking to us words about the Spirit. Verse 12, he begins, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I love that. Jesus has likely been teaching them for hours at this point. Remember, this is, this is the, all the night before the crucifixion. He has been talking and teaching to them likely for hours, many, many words. And here he says, I still have many things, many words to say to you. That wouldn't go so well for me if I threw that in at about like the 12, 20 mark. I still have many words to say to you guys. But actually here, after hours of words coming from the Christ, uh, the promise that he has more words is the best of news. And it would have brought them, and it should bring us, great comfort and joy. He has many more words for them and us. But why could the disciples not bear them now? Well, I don't think it's simply because it was too many words up until that point. Most likely, this is similar to what we saw up in verse 7. Look up at verse 7. You remember this? This This is crazy. If you got to pick right now, if you had to pick, the Holy Spirit with you, or Jesus himself here in the flesh. You could see him. You could touch him. You could place your finger in the holes in his hands. You could hear his physical voice. You could ask him questions. Which would you pick? There's something in each and every one of us in our love for Jesus that almost cannot help but pick the second. What an advantage it would be to be able to see and hear and touch the physical Jesus. Verse 7, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus' going away is his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. The reason the Spirit would not come until then was because the Spirit's work is dependent first on Christ's work. The Spirit could not come in full until Christ accomplishes his work in full. And I think that's probably what's going on here in verse 12 as well. The fullness of revelation, that's going to be the Spirit's role, the fullness of revelation awaits the fullness of redemption. The disciples cannot yet bear all that Christ has to teach them, well, because Christ has not yet accomplished all that he wants to teach them about. So he's about to go and accomplish that work, and then the Spirit is going to come and teach them about that work. And so in verse 13, you'll see there that Jesus calls this Spirit the Spirit of truth. Now look back. We've already seen this. Look back at 14, 16. This was the first Spirit discourse. We're on 5 of 5. 14, 16 is the first one. In 14, 16, Jesus says... I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So we've discussed that word helper a couple of times. It's paraclete in the Greek. And there's, just, there's no one English word that does this word justice. Para means alongside. Kletos means called. So a paraclete is someone who is called alongside someone else for the purpose of advocating for that person, assisting, encouraging, counseling, uh, comforting, helping that person. And so while no word is perfect, helper is probably the best that we can do, as in our context, the paraclete is the one who offers help or assistance in a situation of need. And are not we perpetually in a situation of need? Are not the disciples here in a situation of great Need. Christ is leaving. We need help. Here's the Holy Spirit. That's what Christ is promising them. This, this helper. And it's wonderful. But how does he help? Now look at 1417. Jesus tells us. The helper, again, is the spirit of truth. 
We just saw that. Now look down at 1426. Well, what is truth? What does truth do? 1426. This helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So who is the Holy Spirit? He is the helper. How does he help? The truth, which is words. He will teach you, which is words. He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, which is words. The helper is a teacher, and he helps with words. The Spirit's work is words. Now, I want you to go back to our passage, 16, 12 through 15. This may be obnoxious and unhelpful, which would be ironic in light of the Spirit as the helper. But I want to read our short passage again for you. And I'm going to throw in a few words of of clarification that will hopefully make clear what we could easily miss. Again, I'm I'm obnoxiously trying to make it clear how word-centered all that Christ says is here. Look at verse 12 again. I'm going to read it for you. I'm adding in a few things. Look at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you. That is words. But you cannot bear them now. That is the words. When the spirit of truth, truth is words, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. That is teach the words. For he will not speak words on his own authority, but whatever he hears, words, he will speak words, and he will declare words, the things that are to come. That's also arguably words. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, that to his words, and declare words it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Still words. Therefore I said, that's words, that he will take what is mine, those are the words again, and he will declare it, words, to you. That was fun, right? You liked that. That was entertaining. Maybe it was just me. Why am I making such a big deal out of this? Why do I so emphasize this? Because I would argue that you cannot overemphasize this. I would argue that much of the, just the trouble that we find ourselves in and the squishiness of evangelicalism today is that we've just, we've just forgotten this, this centrality of this thing. Why do I so drown you with so many words and try to convince you of how important words are? Listen, maybe it's just because I'm not very good at what I do. That's a distinct possibility. Maybe it's all just personal preference. Maybe I'm just a nerd and I like to read and I love words, but hey, you know, it's not really for everyone. Maybe my learning style is reading slash writing and maybe your learning style is something different. I I hear that one a lot. You've heard about learning styles, right? Well, I'm a visual learner. I'm a kinesthetic learner. We all have different learning styles. Did you know that's not a thing? Did you know that? Study after study, scientists have tried to find evidence of this universally accepted different learning theories idea. The result? No evidence whatsoever. The authors of one paper titled The Myth of Learning Styles write, there is no credible evidence that learning styles exist. Students may have preferences about how to learn, but no evidence suggests that catering to those preferences will lead to better learning. Even the American Psychological Association says, many people, including educators, believe learning styles are set at birth and predict both academic and career success, even though there is no scientific evidence to support this common myth. Do we all have personal preferences? Do we all have different giftings and abilities and and wirings? Of course. Of course. But the point is, we all learn through words. And this shouldn't be surprising, for this is how God has wired his world to work. Words. The spirit of truth will guide you into all the truth. He, the helper, helps with words. The spirit's work is words. I'm trying to convince you that that's actually a really good and exciting and encouraging thing. Genesis chapter 1. Why is this so good and exciting? Why is this word so central? Genesis 1 is one of the best places to help us understand and appreciate the nature of God's amazing word. You know it, but you may still want to look at it. You can find Genesis 1 on page 1. You can do it. You can find it. 
We've said that last words are often the most important words. What about first words? Don't you work extra hard on like first introductions? The, the first time you're going to meet someone, you're going to make an entrance, you're planning out what you're going to say, you're going to make an impression. What do you want people to know about you? What does God want you to know about him? Based upon Genesis 1, it's that he speaks. Verses 1 and 2 are summary introduction. God is and God creates everything. Verse 2, and the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. And then what happens? Verse 2, Spirit. Verse 3, words. And God said. The first thing that we learn about God is that he speaks. That he is a God of words. And it gets even better. Okay, this is, we're too familiar with this. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Here's one of the main things that we learn in Genesis 1. One of the main and most important things for you to know. God's speaking is God's doing. God's speaking is God's doing. To say that God spoke and to say that God did are often one and the same thing. God simply expresses his desire for light in words and it it just leaps into existence. God's speaking is God's acting. Verse 5, God calls and he names, that's words. And then every day, six more times, twice on the third day, and God said, and it was, and God said, and it was. And then there's the climactic eighth word, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. and the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then God speaks to them and he blesses them with words. The point is that God acts by speaking. For God to say the word is for God to do the action. What that means is that it's it's a powerful word. It is a living word. It is an active word. It does something. It is a word that works and always accomplishes what God desires and achieves. And he always achieves the purpose for which he sent his Word. The word is the means through which God is active in his world. It is how he acts in his world. And what we're trying to do here is, is to begin to overcome our, our word apathy and boredom. You, you are so consumed with images today. We can't even do like image social media anymore. It's just a picture because we can't even handle any of the words. Now it's just a picture and a picture and a picture. And you scroll and you scroll and you scroll and you watch images all Day. And the image obsession results in word boredom and apathy. We're trying to overcome that. We're trying to overcome our assumption that words are mere words. No, no words are mere words, but especially not God's words. God's words are an extension of God's person. And think about the fall. God gives Adam a command. He gives him a word. Don't eat of the tree. There's nothing special about the tree. It's just a tree. It is the command. It's the word that matters. And it is the breaking of the command, the rejecting of the words, that results in sin and death. And the implications of that are enormous. God has so identified himself with his words as the extension and expression of his person that whatever you do to God's words, you do directly to God himself. But whatever you do to God's words, you do directly to God himself. It's because in a very real sense, the word of God is God. Some of you are like, oh, that sounds kind of wrong. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. First words matter. Why are John's first words about Jesus? The first things he wants us to know is that Jesus is the word of God. It's both because of who God is and what words are. Remember, God simply, he he is. We've been seeing that when Jesus claims that name, I am, for himself. Jesus is saying, I am God. We just seen, uh, we just left the, the seventh I am statement in chapter 15 where he says, I am, and he adds the predicate, the vine, meaning I am life. 
So I am, Jesus says, I am God. The vine, Jesus is saying, I am life. And that's the very next thing that John wants you to know. John 1, 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. See, the God of life creates life, and he does it by his living and active word. It logically follows, then, that life is only found in and with this God of life. That's what Jesus is going to tell us in the very next chapter in John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Life is knowing the God of life. And how do you know a person? Any person. It's words. And that's why Jesus is called the Word. Words reveal and then they relate. They reveal and relate. Jesus, the Son of God, one with God, in taking on flesh and coming to us to teach us, to speak words to us, is the one who reveals God to us and then relates God. To us, words reveal and relate. And it's the same for our words. Relationship is words. Relationship is communion. At the heart of communion is communication. We know one another through our words. We learn of one another as we listen to one another's words. Words are at the heart of all relational knowledge. So there's a sense then, sorry for you guys, there's a sense then in that you all know me far better than I know you. My sermons are 6,000 words. My Bible studies are 5,000 words. My emails are about 1,000 words. So for better or worse, like the four of you that are doing all of those things are getting 12,000 of my words a week. That is a lot of words. Now, hopefully, those words are generally an exposition of God's word. But Philip Brooks, 19th century preacher in Boston, he gave us one of the most famous definitions of preaching. He says that preaching is truth through personality, right? Preaching is truth through personality. Uh, His biographers, by the way, say that he was too shy and that he spoke too fast. So there's hope. There's hope for me. But the point is that you you learn about me as you listen to so many of my words week after week. You know what I love. You know what I care about. You know what bothers me. You guys have a pretty good understanding of who I am. Just hearing so many words filtered through my personality. This is just how words work. They reveal and they relate. That's what Jesus Christ, the word, does for us. And listen, that's what the Holy Scriptures, the writings, the words do for us. They reveal God to us and they relate God to us. Now go back to our text. And what if the word really is all that? We've just scratched the surface. What if the word really is how God creates his world, works in his world, is present in his world, relates to his world? Now look at verse 13 again. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So we have two truths there. We have the spirit of truth guiding you into all the truth. Let's start with that the. That the is important. The King James missed this, and it causes all sorts of problems. The King James says, he will guide you into all truth. But in the Greek, there's the article. The article is there, the. Jesus says, he will guide you into the truth. And so that means that we cannot rip this verse out of context and try to make it say something that it's not saying in context. Does the Spirit of God guide the people of God? Of course he does. Of course he does. How does the Spirit of God guide the people of God? Listen, that's a different question. And it's one that I'm not going to go into detail now as I do not desire to step on any toes or distract or detract from this main point. And that point here is that the truth is a specific thing. We saw it in 1426. He will teach you all things. What things? And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The things are Christ's things. The things that are his. Now look at 1614. He will glorify me. We're coming back to that part. For he will take what is mine 
and declare it to you. That what is mine is the many things that Christ wants to say to them. The many things about him and who he really is and what he's really about to do. It's the truth, the full and final revelation of who God is in Christ. The truth is the full and final revelation of who Christ is and what he has done. The truth is the New Testament. This is important to get and hear. We've said a couple of times that there are parts of this farewell discourse that uniquely apply to the disciples and not to us. When Jesus says in 16.2, they will put you out of the synagogues, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. Well, none of us have ever been put out of a synagogue and probably never will. Most of us, I don't think, are going to be killed for our faith. But the disciples were. So God is specifically giving to them a specific word that only applies to us in a kind of secondary, more general way. Well, so it is here. Let me be clear. John 16, 13 is not a promise to you that the Spirit will individually and personally guide you in your day-to-day life. He will guide you into all the truth has nothing to do with personal information about what job you should take or who you should marry or the future. Listen, if you want to argue that the Spirit does that, good, go for it. But you can't do it from this passage. The truth that the Spirit will guide the disciples into here is the full understanding of the truth of the revelation of God himself in Jesus Christ. And then the preserving and the writing and the passing down of that revelation into this. John 15, 26, Jesus has said, He, the Spirit, will bear witness about me, and you also, disciples, will bear witness. So that and our passage are first and foremost about the Spirit-inspired Word of God that would be written and recorded by the disciples. This is first and foremost about the Bible. It's a promise of the Word. These words, the 94 of which we are considering today, Christ is here promising His Spirit of truth that would inspire these wonderful words. 2 Peter 1, verse 20. Know this. First of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is talking about in our passage. These words are words from God, written by men as they're carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is breathed out by God. It was translated inspired. We use the word inspired like, oh, that was an inspirational, it's been an inspirational dunk that I throw down on Jack this afternoon, right? That was really inspired and and impressive. That's not what inspired here means. It literally means theopneustos. It's God breathed out. It's not just that it's great or inspiring. it, It comes from God himself. The scriptures are the very words and breath of God. Verse 15 of 2 Timothy 3 says that these words are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, I want you to think about that. that, that that's wild. That's wonderful. Words. Listen, that, this is just, these are words on a printed page. Like we can't even bring ourselves to read them sometimes. They're just, just thousands and thousands of of words. I just read a verse that said these words can actually save your eternal soul from hell. That's amazing. 1 Peter 1:23 says you have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. This word creates spiritual life. And don't forget as we just saw this same word of God creates physical life. 2 Peter 3 Five, the earth was formed by the word of God. Okay, what a word. What a wonderful word. For some reason all week I've had Louis Armstrong stuck in my head. You can go visit his home two miles from here in Corona. So all week I've been seeing and I think to myself, what a wonderful word. Now, of course, the line is now I think he's got the cool gravelly voice that's so wonderful. He says, what a wonderful world. But... We've been seeing how the very world 
that's so wonderful, it's made up of God's words. I've mentioned before the PBS kids show, Word World. I think it's been canceled, but you can go watch it online. It's so good. It's a reading show, and in it, all the characters are made of words. So like the dog character is made up of the letters D-O-G. And it's really well done. You can tell that both it's a dog, but you can also then see the letters and the word. And in the show, it's as you put the letters together and spell things, then the word leaps into life. You've got a P, and then you've got an I, and it's just there, but then you add the G to it, and pop, there's a pig, pops into existence, and it's it's living. The word is at the root of what the thing is. The life of the thing is caught up and bound up in the word. And then the last line of the opening jingle goes, it's a beautiful world, word, world. That's really good. God's world is a beautiful world, a wonderful world, and it's a world made by and sustained by his beautiful and wonderful word. And so listen, we're going we're to apply in a moment at the end, but when you engage with God's word, you are engaging with that which is the very foundation of reality itself. Physicists will tell you that it's elementary particles or it's, or it's strings. Uh, again, I don't understand all these things. But even more foundational than that, it's words. You live in a worded world. God created his world by the word of his power. He upholds the world by the word of his power. He saves his people by his gospel, which is a word that is the power of God for salvation. Words, words, words. Again, all that is just to to try and, and help you see what it is that you have here. To try and help you appreciate what it is that we are reading and hearing and that we are blessed to have at our fingertips in the Bible. What if it really is God's word? What if it really is living and active? What if it really is when you open it up and come to it in faith, it is God himself communing with you and communicating to you? What if it's all that we've seen and said, an extension of himself and how he is present and how he works and how he saves and shapes and encourages and comforts? That's why Christ is so concerned here to promise and teach this spirit on his last night. This, this, this is God's greatest gift to us. And the spirit is the author of this gift. And it is, this is what he does. He is the spirit of truth and he works through this God's living and active word. Now point number two. Much briefer, but much bigger. Let's step back even further and answer the, the ultimate why. And why is this how the spirit works? Why the word? What is the spirit ultimately up to? Number two. The spirit works through the word to glorify the Son. Look at verse 14. It's very clear. He will glorify me. What does that mean? What does it mean to glorify? Well, it means to, to, to praise and honor. He will praise and, and honor me. He will make me to appear great and glorious and good. Now, we know that Christ is infinitely great and glorious and good. What does it mean to, to make him appear to be that then? I've always, I don't know where I heard this first, but I've always liked the illustration of the difference between a microscope and a telescope. Right? A microscope takes something that is very small and makes it seem big. That's obviously not what the Spirit is doing for Christ. But a telescope, right? a telescope takes something that is very big, but very far. So far that we cannot even see it or comprehend it. And it takes that very big thing and brings it near. It makes us able to see and appreciate the bigness and the glory of something that is so big and so beyond us. That's what the Spirit does. He doesn't make Jesus glorious. Jesus is glorious. He makes us able to see and appreciate Christ as glorious. The Spirit is like a big spotlight directing our attention to where it belongs to God himself as he is revealed in Jesus Christ, the all-glorious one, worthy of all honor and praise. Just like our son, the S-U-N, son, is, is the biggest and weightiest and most glorious object in our solar system. Thus, it's, it's worthy to be at the center. It, it must be at the center with everything else dependent 
upon it and, and revolving around it. Well, so it is in the whole of reality with the person of Jesus Christ. It's the role of the Holy Spirit to show us that, to help us to see that, to honor and praise Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And how does he do that? Words. Back to verse 14. He will glorify me. How? For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Again, the whatever is mine there, the Spirit's able to declare it and speak it. That means that it must be words. It must be the teaching of Christ. The, the, the full and final revelation of the person and work of Christ. Who is this Christ? And what did he really do? The Holy Spirit. And it's the full expression of this, the full and final revelation of who Christ is and what he has done that will ultimately bring him the most glory. Why? Well, who is he and what has he done? Has he done? He's God and he has died. That's it. That's everything. This one who is the center and the sun. This one who is the all-glorious one deserving of all praise. The very one who spoke reality into existence. Hebrews 1 tells us he upholds reality itself by the word of his power. This one who is God himself has come in the flesh. Perfect power, total transcendence, come in frailness and weakness and flesh. He has come and become this, like us. Why? Because he loves us. This one whose words can create and shape and sustain reality itself loves me. We've just seen this in our last two Psalms. Psalm 33, verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. That's power. But then verse 18, behold, the eye of this Lord, of Yahweh, is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death. You see how those two things come so beautifully together? He speaks reality into existence, and his eye is on you. We just read Psalm 34. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Where? How? Again, here. The all-powerful, delivering Lord, verse 18. This Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed and spirit. That's what we see so clearly in Christ. In this admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies. The biggest has become the smallest. The most strong has become the most suffering. The author of life has come to die for us. Because of the sin which was the rejection of him. The sin which the wages of is, is death. Remember, whatever you do to God's words, you do to God himself. We have all of us disregarded and broken God's words. <laughs> uncountable a number of times. Uncountable to us, not uncountable to him. He knows the exact number of times. We have all of us broken God's words, the God of life, and the just result is death. You reject the God of life. You accept the wage of death. But God, see the glory of the Son here in the grace of of the Son, come for us out of love for sinners like us, to live for us and suffer for us and die for us, only to rise again three days later, defeating death itself. This is the truth that the Spirit of truth would come to teach and reveal. And this is what most glorifies the Son. Oh, look at who He is in what He has done for us, sinners like us. There's nothing else. Like this. This is the gospel. This is the news, the words that you need. Gospel just means good news. It's, it's an announcement. It's, it's words that can save your soul if you will turn from your sin and believe in Him. Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, the life who died and lived again. He is what the gospel of words is all about. Aren't words wonderful? If they can do that, our God is the God who speaks. He is the God of words. And the Holy Spirit works through these words. And he works first and foremost to glorify 
his son through the salvation of his people. And listen, again, that makes these words your most precious possession. You spend $1,000 for that phone, you can get this. We'll give you one of these for free. This is infinitely more precious to you than that thing. What if they are really living and active? What if they are really all that we've seen that they are? What should you do? A couple of quick closing applications. Number one, you ready for it? Read the word. Yeah, I know that's disappointing. I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. This is how the Spirit works. This is how God reveals himself and relates himself to us. This is how he is present. I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to offer you outside of and apart from that word. There is a direct correlation between consistent reading of that word and continual spiritual transformation. We are to be transformed, Romans 12, by the renewing of our mind. How are minds renewed? Words. The word is how that happens. We are being conformed into the image of his son. Remember forming from chapter 15, God is making us like God, holy and righteous and good. Doesn't that sound so good? The word is how he does it. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. Meditate on this tonight. This is a profound verse and idea. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord. Remember, that's what the Spirit does. Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And how does the Spirit work? The Word. Here's where the transforming glory of the Lord is found. You must engage with that Lord through this Word. And that's why we spent so much time just talking about what, what the Word is and, and why it's so good, trying to convince you and compel you. Oh, maybe, maybe there is something to this Word. And so, I mean, your application is not just read. You know, we can read wrongly. But the application is to read rightly with the right aims and goals. And that starts with what we've just done. It's knowing what the Word is, trusting that it's living and active, Trusting that it's how God works. Come to the word with the right posture, with with expectant humility. Come to it not just seeking information, but transformation. Come to the word in faith, expecting to meet the Lord of the word. For it is as you encounter God's word that you encounter God himself speaking and working. So remember, we, we pray before we read. We ask for the Spirit's help to do the thing that only the Spirit can do. And then as you read, be asking yourself, well, what does God want to do in me through these words? Right? What's, what's the truth that the Spirit wants me to learn from these words? How do these words glorify Christ and help me to glorify Christ? Christians, we must be reading the word. What if it's all that we've seen that it is? Read it. And again, get, get help. Pastor Mike and I would love to help you. You have brothers and sisters in Christ around you who would love to help read it with you and walk through that with you. Read it patiently. Listen, you're not going to sit down tomorrow morning and be caught up into the third heaven. We just had a sermon on the word. And you're going to sit down and read like 1 Chronicles 2. And you're going to go, oh, what? No, read patiently and realistically. Praying, trusting, and then when you come to it again and again and again, consistently, prayerfully, humbly, the Spirit will do His work through His Word as He reveals Himself to you and communicates Himself to you and transforms who you are. Guys, words are transformative. You you could probably think right now of someone's words spoken to you that that have changed your life. My father's words have changed my life. My wife's words of affirmation and support have changed my life. Pastor Ed's Moore's words have changed. I didn't know what I was doing, and I met Pastor Ed, and he changed everything. And some of those words that he spoke to me have lodged into my brain, and they have been living and active, fueling and transforming. We can do that for one another with with our words. What about God's word? As that word gets in your head, 1 Corinthians 13 has changed my life. Psalm 1 has changed my life. We're memorizing Philippians 2 now in small group. It's, it is changing how I look at myself and my relationship uh, to other people. These words are living and active if you will just give themself, give yourself to those words. So it's, it's, it's read the word. 
Application number two is read a book. I'm serious. Reading statistics are on decline across the board. Just dropped the word. Apparently, over half of Americans have not read a book in over a year. Listen, that should not be the case for Christians. I actually believe that that's correct. Why? It's because words. It's because our God is a speaking God. He has given to us words, he has given to us a book, and he has given us book after book about that book, so read. I read in large part to engage regularly with books and words simply to better help me engage with and then communicate God's books and words. I am better with words because I am constantly engaging with them and hopefully it helps me communicate the word which is eternal life better. So read a book. I'm just going to start bringing extra books that I have. I have multiple copies of many books. This is Sproul's What is Reformed Theology. You're still like, what is this thing? And What are these doctrines of grace that he's talking about? Merry Christmas. First come, first serve. I'm going to start just giving you books. Take and read. Read a book. Last thing. Number three. Hey guys, let's Wield your words well. This is what words are. Let's use those words wisely and well. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, you wield the power of death and life with your words. Words don't weigh anything, and yet they are the weightiest thing in the world. For they are what the world is, is made of. It's in the context of God as the God of words in Genesis 1, that he makes us in his image and likeness. We know that means many things, but surely much of that includes our ability to use those words. Words are our superpower. Words are are what set us uh, apart. So use your words wisely and well. Use them to build up and encourage. What if you were that person who just spoke some passing word of encouragement that just lodged itself in someone else's brain and just fueled and fired them and gave them encouragement and life. Use those words well. And man, cut out the sarcastic, the cutting, the criticizing, the complaining. We just, we've got to use our words well for the glory of God. Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Church, we have those words at our fingertips in the Bible, and they are wonderful, and they are literally life. This is who the Spirit is, and what he is about. He works through the word to glorify the Son. May we also work through the word to love and to trust and to glorify the Son. Pray with me and then we'll continue. Let's, let's pray. Father, you have given us wonderful words. Father, where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Help us to believe that you truly do have the words of eternal life and that you have given them to us by the Holy Spirit and recorded them and preserved them for us in the Holy Scriptures. Father, may we once again become people of the book who do not read just for information, who do not read just because we want to be smarter than people or to win arguments, but Father, because we believe that that's where you are and that's how you are present and that's how you work and that's how you comfort us and shape us and transform us. Father, may we come to your word and find you there and taste and see that you are good. So Father, drive us to your word this week. Pray that Woodside Community Church would be a church that always has your word as the foundation of all that we do here, as that word proclaims to us your son, who is the foundation of reality itself. Help us to love him and delight in him and trust him, uh, Father, through those words. Father, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.